The words of Jesus are king. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. And anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for preaching and proclaiming the arriving kingdom of heaven. Thank you for grabbing the heart of Matthew and using him to preserve these words, your words. Thank you for providing the place and a time and a reason for us to gather this morning. I ask that you would use this sermon for our good and shake our assumptions that we would see the coming kingdom as it is and not try to dilute it or explain away the ramifications. It is in the name of Jesus, our King, we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning, New Life Church. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be here. I've been in quarantine for a while now, and I'm glad to be able to sing with you and to hear you singing to Jesus, our King, together. It's just so encouraging. So I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we get to open up again Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and hear what he has to say about his kingdom. Grab a Bible, turn it to Matthew 5, place it on your lap. These are the words of our King, Jesus himself. They are good and astounding and beautiful. Sometimes you just snap into realization, right? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever caught yourself with the assumptions of the culture around us? Have you ever realized you are very comfortable in the culture in which you live? The mannerisms and the customs and the rhythms and the allowances for what is acceptable and what is not. Do you ever just see it all for what it is and realize, wow, this is a broken place? I have been reading a science fiction book by C.S. Lewis, his second book in the trilogy is called Perlandra, and the premise is that the protagonist of the book arrives on a planet that has not experienced the fall, life before the curse. And the way he interacts in the world is unblemished, wholesome, good. And there have been quite a few times as I have been reading it that I have thought, that's not how that works. That's not the way the world works. At one point, he he is talking with one of the inhabitants of this world, trying to describe disobedience, and she has a hard time understanding why one would do such a thing. And I'm reading, thinking, it's not that hard to understand. That's not the way the world works. I know how it works. And then, oh, all of this is broken. And I am very comfortable in the brokenness. 
So comfortable, in fact, it is hard for me to fathom someone describing the way things ought to be, having a hard time understanding disobedience. I'm well-versed. I understand it well. It's hard for me to fathom the way goodness can be propagated. Well, friends, we all live in this broken world, and we are quite comfortable with its ways and customs. But we have a king. Amen? We have a king, and that king came to proclaim and inaugurate a new kingdom. We have been walking through the character of that kingdom, the virtues of the citizens, and what is normal for that kingdom. That's what this sermon is about. We continue that inspection today, and it is clear that the kingdom is not seen in the protection of one's own interests or rights, but in radical truth and generosity. Let's read Jesus' words again. Matthew 5, this is verse 33. Jesus says again, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. You have heard it said. Again, we are back to the dance of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, You have heard it said, but I say to you. That's the dance. It's the back and forth. Jesus says, You know what has been spoken in regards to speaking truth. There is a law set up around oaths and swearing to do something. This particular quote is from Leviticus 19. He says, You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And also in Numbers it says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall, not do according to all that pro- he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And on its face it is good, right? If I attach myself to the name of the Lord, this is serious business. Do not attach yourself, the validity and veracity of your actions to the name of the Lord, the great God of truth, and then not do what you said. It does not do to be a liar and attach yourself to the God of truth. If you do that, you better be on the path to truth if you're going to connect yourself to the God of truth. This makes sense. This is a reasonable thing. This is a reasonable way of organizing this world. But here's the rub. This was taken further, and the idea became, if I attach myself and my word to God, or even in the broader Roman culture, if I attach my word to some other God, if I attach myself to God, then I have to follow through with what I said. But if I don't, Fingers crossed on the playground. You said you would let me play next. Well, I didn't pinky swear. I didn't pinky swear. So my words are not held to account. If I attach my truth to God, then I have to hold it and better be careful. But if I don't, I get a free pass. Lest you think this is just a word for ancient civilizations and playgrounds, let me put a couple more examples out. Well, that wasn't in the contract. Oh, I didn't sign that. Oh, they didn't ask me that question. The lack of truthfulness in our words is evident even now. 
and the ease with which we walk through this world using its assumptions and its way of speaking and thinking and operating is arresting if you begin to see it. Jesus is saying, yes, there was a check, there was a way of law that said, think this way about oaths. Paul talks about the law being a guardian, a way to hold back evil, a way to hold back depravity. And even in this bit of good law, our broken, fallen, twisted heart says, I found a loophole. And Jesus proclaims something different. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you in 34, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. He says, but I say, I say the authoritative lawgiver the king of the kingdom, speaking on the mountain, echoing Mount Sinai where the original law was given. Jesus says, here is the way things operate in the kingdom. Do not take an oath at all. Do not plan to be truthful only when you attach your words to God, when you invoke the name of God himself. And don't attach it to heaven in hopes of getting some clout from something else because Heaven is the throne of God. You don't own it. You have no say at the throne. This is God's throne, so not even heaven. Well, I really need to put some weight behind my words. I need to really put some weight behind what I'm saying so people know I am serious this time. How about the earth? I'll swear by the earth. Jesus says that is the footstool of God. That's where he puts his feet up. God says, mine, again. Well, what about Jerusalem? I'll swear by the city. That is the city of the great king, Jesus. Again, this is mine. You cannot claim it. Well, what what about my head? My own head, by my own honor, by my name. God says, this is all mine. You can't even make one hair white or black. And you're saying, well, now we can dye our hair. No, you're just painting it. It's the same color under there. You have no control, and I am God, and it is all mine, and there's nothing you can tie yourself to that does not have a connection with me. And I don't want you stealing truthfulness so you can be untruthful in the times you don't make an oath. All of these are means of pulling in the weight of other things to pad your dishonesty. I will use the truth of God, the faithfulness of God, in order to persuade someone the way I want them to go. I will use the system for my ends. Well, what am I supposed to do then? In this interjected kingdom, what is the modus operandi? How do I act in the kingdom? Jesus says, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Be truthful. Speak the truth. Will you do this thing? Yes. Did you do that thing? No. If you are a speaker of truth, if you align yourself with the God of truth, not by oath or swearing, but by action, 
people will know you to be truthful. It is astounding to ponder. If I use the systems of the day, I align myself with the tricks and the caveats and the assumptions and the exclusions, the vague language and the loopholes, the little white lies and the means of getting out of things in the future, I more and more will be known as someone that is untrustworthy. And my need for external propping up of my claims or proclamations becomes greater and greater. But if I say yes, I will do that, and then I do it, I verify veracity. The listeners can confirm when he speaks, he speaks truthfully. But this is not just a pragmatic thing. This is not just Benjamin Franklin-esque folksy wisdom with practical benefit. Do you see how broken is the world in which you reside? The God of truth comes on the scene and says, in the kingdom, yes is yes and no is no. And we say, well, sure, in an ideal situation, but that's not how the world works. Because the world doesn't work. It's broken. Jesus is proclaiming that there used to be truth permeating this world. And when his image bearers opened their mouths, truth came out. And now the world is horribly broken and lies are what is common. So broken people need to couch their promises in threats and penalties. They need to have contracts so very, very long. Have you bought a house lately? So very, very long because we deceive each other. We are all out for our own. We want what is mine. And if I can get you into the agreement, I can work the system for my ends. This happens all the time. This is the soup we swim in. And evidence that everything is terribly broken. And Jesus, the rescuer, the restorer, the king, is breaking in and saying a new kingdom is coming. And yes is yes and no is no. Ah, That's not how it works, king. Yes, that is how it works. This is not how it works. Anything more than truth comes from evil. What then do we do? Can I no longer use a contract? Can I no longer take an oath? What if I'm in a courtroom and take a public, or take a public position that requires an oath? The real question, friends, citizens of the kingdom, is... Am I using these tools to pull in veracity and the illusion of truth that does not reside in my person or my intentions? Friends, be people of truth. If you are using any of these things as a cover to be untruthful, repent, turn around, run to the God of truth. He is a heart changer. By and large, these are vehicles of communication for our governmental or cultural systems. Are you going to tell the truth? Yes. No, 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 no. You have to raise your right hand and repeat after me. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. For a truth teller, yes is still yes. When yes is yes, a contract is just a vehicle to communicate. 
When you are truthful, these things become just the annoying amount of paperwork that has to be signed. They are no longer the apparatus by which you couch deceit in legalese. Friends, fellow citizens of the right-side-up kingdom, the king is proclaiming that heaven is touching earth, and in that intersection is truth. Yes is yes, and no is no. It's good news. These verses show the radical way of speaking truth justly with your neighbor. These next verses will show us the way the kingdom reacts when others treat us unjustly. Jesus continues in 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We're back to the dance again, right? You've heard it said, here is the previously lined out law. This is a quote from Exodus. It's in Leviticus. It's in Deuteronomy. Exodus says, but if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And this is a good and just law. In fact, this is a necessary guardian again, a guardian to him in sin, to stem the tide of revenge, to hold back our depravity. This is a proportional punishment proportional cost for injury. This makes sense. If you harm a person, the punishment incurred should match the harm. The alternative to this is escalation. If you injure me, the response is escalation, not proportion. In fact, when people are gathered together by families or larger tribes, if you injure or kill a member of my tribe, we may come after you and your whole tribe. There may be a feud in place. Think Hatfields and McCoys. This law, as you have heard it said, is a just and good way to hem in sin. This is a broken world that needs boundaries. It needs help because we should not assume our nature is the guiding star in response to injury. We should not assume our natural response is going to be the right thing to do. And this is a nature thing. This is not something they dealt with then, and now we have progressed. Have you ever been wronged and your response was, I'm going to make them wish they never did that? I will show them what happens when they mess with me. I will sue them for all they're worth. Our default is escalation. Our default is personal retribution, revenge. Our default is to hit hard enough that they don't ever want to hit me again. We want what is ours, our honor, our due. And just like in the oaths framework, this system can be used to get what is owed. Ah, I have an injury. Now I can try to get all that is due. I have been allotted an entrance into a system of justice, and now I can use it to my advantage. Just picture rear-ending someone in a vehicle. I wonder what I can get out of this. Ah, you hurt me. Let's go to court. 
Perhaps I can pull some cost out of you, a penalty. Perhaps I can gain out of this. What was a check on escalating violence becomes a means for gain. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Do not resist. Do not set yourself up against the one who is evil. Uh, this is a little radical. You, you don't understand how the world works. The world is broken. Jesus is proclaiming something radical. He is proclaiming a kingdom where the norm is self-sacrifice. The norm is setting down my rights, setting down my opportunity for gain, setting down my means of personal retaliation or retribution. He says, do not resist. Do not set oneself up against the one who is evil, the neighbor who has the wrong in mind, the neighbor who would tear you down and dishonor you. Man, this is hard. Are you sure, Jesus? Are you sure, O King? If you are like me, you read this and you immediately go looking for the exception. Are there any loopholes? Man, I'm good at living in this broken world, huh? Any other verses I can jump to so I can basically ignore this? I can just keep reading. I don't need to sweat. This resist word shows up a couple times in Scripture. The only time it commands a resistance is in regard to the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee. Set yourself up against the devil. Be like Jesus in the wilderness when the devil came to talk. Other times when in command form, it commands no resisting. Do not resist the governing authorities. Uh, I need some exceptions. In one passage, Paul describes himself resisting, opposing someone in the, in the book of Galatians. But he wasn't opposing someone evil. He was opposed to Peter. It was Peter, a fellow brother, a fellow citizen of the kingdom, who had skewed the proclamation of the gospel with his actions. He had put himself at odds with fellow Gentile believers. He had broken community. The desire of Paul was to mend the gospel community. We need to stop trying to find ways to make this not radical. This is radical, friends. Jesus is proclaiming a different way to live in the world, a way that does not align with the pervasive brokenness of our surroundings. When personally injured, I don't set myself up for retribution and gain. My goal is no longer to take the eye when given the opportunity, no longer to take the pound of flesh that is due. If someone slaps, is that an injury? Yes. Is that also an honor thing? Of course. And in this culture, there was a specific penalty due the one slapped. In fact, it was doubly due if it, becomes, if it comes from the back of the hand. Extra dishonor, extra disgrace. Right cheek, then left cheek. There was a penalty owed, and Jesus says, don't go after it. They slap you and injure. Give them the other cheek rather than go 
for what you are owed. Rather than use the system for your own gain, you sacrifice yourself. If you were like me, you were thinking, you raise a hand at me and I'm going to take you out before you can even land it. We think as one's comfortable in the brokenness. But friends, the kingdom is breaking in. The king is proclaiming the intersection of heaven onto earth. And in the intersection, the citizens lay down their rights. The king lays down his rights. In Philippians, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The king of this kingdom laid down his rights. Of all persons with the claim on rights, he is the maker of the stars. He put the breath in the ones raising the hands, and he set aside all claims and did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The kingdom has arrived and it is defined by a king that gives up his due. The cheek is turned in the intersection of kingdom and earth. Ah, But you don't know how the world works. This world is broken and a new one is coming. A new one has interjected itself into our broken world and the king is proclaiming, this is how it works. This is a call to the citizens of the kingdom to not use the system for personal gain, to not be positioned for yourself. In fact, the citizens lay themselves down. And if I may for a moment, we are talking about injury and harm. This is not a call to voluntarily remain in a position or relationship where this kind of treatment is ongoing. If you are sitting in abuse, you can call the authorities. You can ask for help. This is not a call to ignore what is just and good. You can flee from evil. This does not negate the role of government in justice. God, through Romans, tells us he gave the sword to the government for the purpose of justice. They do not hold the sword in vain. The government has a role and a responsibility to bring terror to bad conduct. Ask for help. I want you to be helped. And friends, fellow citizens, what Matthew 5 proclaims is radical. In the walk of life, this categorically changes the way I will posture myself with my neighbor. The citizen of the kingdom does not take his vengeance in his own hands. The posture is now one of self-sacrifice. Maybe you're thinking, does this mean I become a weak, unknowing pushover? Both Jesus and Paul in Scripture, there are examples in the midst of suffering and undressed treatment, examples of them modeling a posture that calls authorities to right action. Paul, right as he's being spread out to be flogged unjustly, says to the authorities, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? 
a subtle way of calling them to their proper duties, calling them to do the right thing. Jesus says a similar thing during his action with, interaction with the authorities. It says in John, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Even in that exchange, you can almost see his cheek turn. This is knowledgeable strength. The posture of Jesus and Paul show us that our stance and our aim is something different than gain and avoidance of suffering. They are willing to sacrifice. They point out the deficiencies of actions inside the system, but their aim is not to exploit them. Jesus continues to proclaim the radical. Verse 40, And if anyone would sue you or take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Friends, this sounds radical, doesn't it? This sounds unbelievable, undoable. Surely this is just hyperbole. Surely Jesus really didn't mean this. It's just a way of making a point. This is a radical notion because our world is so broken and we are always coming up with excuses to say no. This sounds radical because our current world is radically broken. The contrast of this strictly self-sacrificial way of living in the world completely eclipses the assumptions of our days. These things don't fit in the way our world works because our world doesn't work. In their time, you could sue for damages. You could take a man's tunic, the main bit of clothing that is akin to our shirt and our pants. They didn't have pants. It went all the way down to the ankles. You know what I'm talking about. That would be a just payment for damages. This would be an appropriate action in court. But Jesus says, let them have the cloak as well. The cloak is the big coat. If you don't have much, you at least had your coat. You could stay warm. And the law stated you can't take the coat. You put them in danger if you take the cloak. This is a radical way of living in the world. I'm coming after your tunic. Okay, I will not place the same value on my things as you. Here's my cloak as well. And you, be th- you may be thinking, and I have thought this while reading through Matthew, that doesn't make any sense. You can't run a world that way. That would lead to a breakdown of society. If everyone gave up all their stuff, people would just take advantage of the Jesus people. I am so steeped in how this world operates. My mind doesn't even beat with the cadence of the broken, unbroken kingdom. Friends, if when we inflict damages on someone and they had a right to our tunic and we said, you know what, I care more about my neighbor than my coat. I care more about you than the shirt on my back. I'm going to remedy this relationship. I'm going to do all I can to reconcile. That doesn't lead to anarchy. That leads to this world seeing that the kingdom has intersected into this world. Good news is present. 
If a Christian is scratched and underneath you see not a fighter looking for his due, but an ambassador of a different, unbroken kingdom, the world will rejoice. This is radical for me because I know the ways of my locale. I know how to be an American. I know how to be a Westliner. I know how to be an Oregonian. And perhaps that is more native to us than the kingdom. Jesus is proclaiming the presence of something new and good, and I want to be well-versed in that kingdom. Don't you? Don't you want to speak that language and be familiar with its customs, know its mannerisms, its way of living in the world, its culture? Jesus says, if someone would force you to go a mile, you go two miles. This was the nature of living under the occupational rule of the Roman Empire. We have an amendment in our Constitution about such things. Soldiers can't be forced to live in your home. Well, during the Roman Empire, a soldier could say, hey, you have to walk with me for a mile. You're going to carry my stuff, and you're going to go for a mile. A Roman mile, the measurement of the occupiers, they were justified in demanding walking for a mile. But Jesus says, even this enemy, this occupier is a neighbor And your posture as a citizen of the kingdom is different. I will walk with you two miles. You will have to walk with an ambassador of the kingdom of Jesus for two miles, and perhaps you will hear about the kingdom. While you walk a mile, while you walk that extra mile and think, why is he still here? Maybe you will hear about the one who is truly Lord, not Caesar, but Jesus, the king himself. The self-sacrifice, the generosity is radical. Yes, because it is the generosity and self-sacrifice of the kingdom. These are optics into the kingdom where Jesus reigns. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound like a place you want to belong? He says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I won't make you raise your hand. I'll just raise my own. How often do you come up with excuses when someone begs from you? Hey, spare a dollar. Hey, buddy, anything helps. Sorry, man, I don't have any money for you. I I don't know what he would do with the money. I don't know how he got here. I don't know why she sits there. Man, he must have made some bad decisions. I don't want to exacerbate that. All of these are ways to excuse yourself from being begged, from having to deal with someone begging from you. She literally begs from you, friends. He literally begs from you. Of course his life is a broken mess. He's begging of you. Each one is on the street begging of you. I have no doubt the insidious brokenness of this world has grabbed their lives in ways they cannot escape. Generosity seems irresponsible because we are so used to this broken world. But we are ambassadors of a new one. Where we go, there is an intersection of the new world breaking into the old The kingdom has come and it shines in the beacons that each of you are. 
Just the other day, a gentleman asked me for money. Anything helps. I was outside of a Rite Aid. I didn't have any cash, but I grabbed some big bags of almonds, power food, easy to keep. They're not going to go bad, right? I handed him those almonds, and he looked me in the eyes and said, you don't know what this means. And I remembered, I'm an ambassador of the kingdom where generosity flows, where self-sacrifice is the norm, not the radical exception. Generosity opens up an avenue where with your neighbor in ways other actions have no potential to do. Jesus is proclaiming a different world with different norms and a different culture, a different way of being. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. The rules of self-interest do not apply in the kingdom. The aggressive protections of my interests are not the reflexes of the kingdom. Is there consideration for stewardship and wisdom? Of course, but that is a different consideration than, well, then I won't have what I want. Jesus is proclaiming the entrance, the arrival, the breaking in of a new kingdom where self-interest and protection are foreign ideas, where radical generosity and self-sacrifice are characteristic of the citizens, where the king is the paragon of this virtue, the epitome of this way of living, the exemplar of this kingdom culture. It's a good king. He is a good king. Jesus, the great heart. A lovely descriptor, isn't it? I stole it from the book Gentle and Lowly. Grab a copy of that book at the door, soak in it to revel in the heart of Jesus, the great heart. Jesus is our king, and he is the great heart. He is the word of truth made incarnate. That is why his kingdom resounds with truth. Jesus, the great heart, a heart undivided, not pitched toward himself, but towards self, not self-serving, but towards others. Jesus, the great heart, the self-sacrificial one, who gave himself up not to his friends, but to his enemies. Gave himself for his enemies. Jesus let go of. He abandoned his rights. And all the rights of the God and creator of the universe, he put them all aside and took punishment in our place, in the place of enemies. That is the astonishing and staggering truth of the cross. He did not have to be there. Of all people who could say, this is not right, it was Jesus. And he sacrificed himself in order to change you, enemies, into friends, enemies into citizens, enemies into ambassadors, in order to bring restoration into this broken world, in order to rend the very fabric of the broken universe so he could restore it thread by thread into its beautiful new creation. That is good news, friends. The king who did this work is the one proclaiming to us the nature of the kingdom here in Matthew. He proclaims the inauguration of a kingdom that he will bring about. Heaven is touching earth again. And here is how you know. 
The king has touched the hearts and transformed the citizenry of the kingdom. Their word is truth. If they say yes, they mean yes. They do not engage the games of this world using the system to score points for themselves. You scratch them and they exude generosity. They are asked a little and a lot is given. They love their neighbors, even their oppressors. Friends, Jesus came not just as a proclaimer of good ideas. He arrived as an effective transformer. The kingdom he proclaimed is here in our midst even today. The Holy Spirit is not just the illuminator of these words, but the changer of our hearts. If you're saying, I can't do this. It is too much. I'm not that person, but I want it. How can I be that person? I can't act like that. No, you can't. You need a new heart. And friends, Jesus came to make a new people, citizens of a new kingdom with new hearts. In anticipation of the work of Jesus, God says it this way in Ezekiel, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. They shall be my people. I will be their God. Jesus, the great heart, will make you a people with new hearts. And this is what we need. These hearts, these are the, the passports of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven the identifiers of the ambassadors of the kingdom where the God of truth and the God of sacrifice is king. Call to Jesus, the one who would change your heart. Whether you never have called upon him or just now realizing you need restoration far more than you knew, call on Jesus. Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you for bringing the kingdom. Thank you for dying to win it and rising again to restore it. Thank you for being truthful and generous and sacrificing yourself in our place. Thank you for giving new hearts and making the citizens of your kingdom radically beautiful beacons of the new creation. If there are stony hearts in this room, change them and give them new hearts that don't just long to see a world described, but long to be a part of it. Make them not just spectators, but citizens of the kingdom, ambassadors of this king. And for every one of us who have belonged to the kingdom for a time, but are far too comfortable in the broken world, spark our imaginations with what you are bringing. Use your words from your sermon to excite our minds and ignite our hope, hope for the kingdom. Convince us of the work you have already done and sanctify us in order that we would rather be radical than live in unobtrusive ways in this world. It is in your name we pray and in anticipation of seeing your glory in the kingdom that we sing. Amen.